Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Is that right? <clears throat> Somebody asked me, how long did it take you to get here from Portland? Uh, well, we actually left yesterday, uh, whatever day it was, at a pretty decent time of the day. But because they could not get the de-icing equipment to work in Indianapolis, our connecting flight was late and we got here at midnight. Can you imagine that? As hot as it was here yesterday, it was the de-icing equipment that wouldn't work in Indianapolis. Oh, my. We live in a big country, bigger world. And we're all tied together in such interesting, confusing ways. Have your Bible? <clears throat> I'm not one of those guys who ever is going to put Bible verses up on a screen and let you assume that you don't need to carry a Bible with you. I discover that when people hold a Bible, touch the pages, follow along with their eyes, they tend to get much more out of Scripture and less out of me. And I appreciate that. We pray again. Lord Jesus, as we walk this morning with you in Capernaum, May we feel the warmth of your hand in ours. Amen. The first time they came was the best. We heard a scraping at the door. A door. There's a leather flap that hangs for our door. It keeps out most of the weather unless the wind and rain are blowing torrentially and then it all gets in. But we heard a scraping and a scratching and then a light tap. And then they were gone. My wife sent one of the children to look out through the leather to see if what was there. Mom, it's food. She opened the leather flap to see who it was, but they were long gone. But she pulled in the pail of water, fresh, clean, pure water. Oh, my. From the well to which my wife was forbidden to go. A few fish, some vegetables, and we cried around the feast that morning. And the next, and the next. It had gotten in my body so that I was practically immobile. I could speak and move my eyes, and that was about it. Occasionally, my fingers would move just a bit when I commanded them loudly enough. But everything about me was paralyzed now. One by one, the muscles had dissipated to nothing. And now, I truly was the paralytic Rabbi Jairus had proclaimed me to have become. He spoke clearly that day in front of all the people in the town. This young man, John Goldberg, has chosen to live his life sexually in ways that he just thought would be fun. And God has cursed him with the disease of paralysis. He will die a paralytic as a result of his sins. He will never walk in this town again, neither will those who live with him. They are banned, for he is unclean. Did you hear the word? Unclean. By choice. Not by something someone did to him, not by something that gods have cursed him with, 
but by a choice or a series of choices he has made. His body is dying from the inside out with the disease we know as paralytic. See him not, touch him not, speak to him not, for he has chosen the other side. Be gone! With that, my wife had hobbled me out of town with our two small children beside us. There was a place my father had allowed us to live. It was a stone hut on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Only weeks before, he had noticed one day when I was pulling the nets in early morning. He said, what's wrong with your arms? And I said, oh, they're just not working well. I'm tired. That was when he first sent me to the doctors. The pullers, the straighteners, they had done all they could. They had done nothing except proclaim that there was something inside me that was on its own, and I had chosen it. Father had said I could stay up there until I died, knowing that that would be weeks, for no one could bring me food, no one could, there was no garden, there was nothing up there. Father wasn't about to bring us even dried fish, not even bad fish. It was just us. And we had decided that that was probably one of the last days we would live when we heard the scraping at the door. They came before sunrise each morning, bringing something. Sometimes it was fruit, sometimes it was vegetables, sometimes it was dried fish. Whatever it was they had been able to find, they brought to us. And then finally one day, they stayed. Four men. Four men who used to live and work with us on boats. Four men who knew my name. Four men who knew my history. Four men who had made similar choices and had escaped the noose of the demons. They came. They made sure that no one else knew they were coming, but they fed us, they kept us alive, and they kept us filled with the news. Do you know how quiet life is when you do not know what's going on? And every morning they would bring us the news that had been bandied about across the lake, the stories that had been told in the quiet as the fish found the nets. They told us and laughed together. And then they began telling us of the crazy new Messiah who was coming through town. Every few weeks there was another new Messiah, somebody who was convinced God had dedicated them to be the one to save the world. Sometimes they came with spears, sometimes with swords, sometimes with words. This man was different. He came with touch. It was odd. They said that he had simply touched Simon's mother-in-law. This was not hard to do. She was loud and boisterous and all around you all the time. But she had been ill, and he touched her, and she was fine. We all laughed. That was impossible. But it was a good story. One story after another story showed up. And the more they told us of Jesus, the more intrigued I became. One day they came bursting in without even knocking. <clears throat> he healed a leper. A what? I could speak, but that was all. As I said, occasionally my fingertips would respond when I screamed at them, but most of the time they were immobile also. 
my voice and my eyes. They go, what? And they told me the story of the leper who had come to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. <laughs> if he was willing to cleanse a leper, a leper who, according to the Talmud, according to the rabbis, was a leper by choice. He had done something somewhere that so crossed him with God that God had cursed him with a disease that, ate him, that was eating him away from the outside in. Uh, maybe he could heal a paralytic whose disease was eating him away from the inside out. Was it possible this could be done? We argued about it there in our hut, and the, the wind of the day blowing the flap on the door like thunder. A few days later, they came during the day. No one ever would do that. People would see. But by now my three friends didn't care who saw, for they had chosen me above the law. He's coming. Who's coming? Jesus, the Messiah, the, 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 the guy, the, the healer. He's coming. He's coming to Capernaum. He, he, he's coming back. He's coming. Simon has invited him, and he's invited all kinds of Pharisees and teachers of the law and others to come and see him. And when he's through talking to them, he will do healing. John, he will heal you. We must get you to him. I laughed. The hollow laugh of one who knows a joke when he hears it. Me? To him? Ha! He's never coming here to my hut. Why would I go to him? How would I go to him? It's not possible, we laughed. And they came again the next day and the next. And this time they brought two oars and an old sail. And they showed me how they had lashed it together. And they practiced lifting me and putting it on, putting it off and on and off. And it hurt, but oh, it was a hopeful hurt. Maybe there was a chance. And I began to live and breathe for the moment they would say, Today is the day he's coming. They didn't come. Oh, they came, but he didn't come. Until one night they came when they should have been on their boats and they said, it's tomorrow. We will be here at sunrise. And at sunrise they came. Four men. Four men with memories like mine, but with bodies that worked. Four men. Eyes powered by hope. Looking into my eyes powered by fear. Fear of rejection, again. Fear of failure. Fear that forgiveness only came to those who deserved it. And I could never deserve it. They put me on the sail it blew me into Capernaum. We came through the main gates and no one cared. For everyone had gone to Simon's house where Jesus the Messiah was speaking. 
No one noticed that we were there. As we got closer to Simon's house, uh, the closer we got, the, the more we realized this was going to be much more difficult than we had expected. There were so many people. Everybody from Capernaum was there. It seemed like everyone from Galilee was there. And everyone from Jerusalem. It just seemed that the whole place, it could not be more full. There were, you couldn't even see the door to the house. And the windows, there were so many people in them. They weren't windows anymore. They were blockages. One of the men who was carrying me began to say, Excuse us, we have a sick man. Excuse us, we have a sick man for Jesus to heal. And a few pushed aside. And then someone said, It's Goldberg! And there was no way we could proceed farther. They pushed us back out away as far as they could get from where they were so that nothing unclean would touch them as they came to listen to the master of cleanliness. We tried three times. We tried the front door, the side door, and the lowest window. Every time they pushed us back. They tried disguising me. Made no difference. Goldberg, it's Goldberg! Get him out of here! Oh, I wished. I wished that the people who wanted to love God would want to love those who loved him and needed him the most. Finally, my friends gave up. They laid the sail down in a small, vacant lot next to a broken-down house. And we all cried together, my tears pouring unnoticed, unfelt, into the dust. And then somewhere deep in my mind, I remembered a day, so many years ago, when the four of, the five of us, Simon, Andrew, John, James, a whole variety of others. That early morning when Simon had asked if we'd be willing to help and we put a new roof on his house. I wonder if we could get it off. <laughs> hey, remember the day we put the roof on Simon's house? Yeah, funny thing, isn't it? Can't get in now, though. Let's take it off. It dawned on them as if God had illumined a new sun. They jumped, grabbed my, the, the, the oars, the, 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 the sail. They grabbed me, lifted me, whipped me around, clear to the back, up, clattering up the old st stone steps to the very top, moved aside. Some of the grain looked at me and said, Where? And I could barely see. They tipped me over a little bit. I, over by the big pail. They moved me over there, and in a few moments they had cleared aside all of the straw that was drying up on the roof. They had moved aside where, where Mrs. Peter kept all of her stuff, and, and, and there was a spot now about, oh, two meters long and about a meter wide, and underneath that we could see giant tiles that we had laid so that they would just go across the logs, and it would be just perfect. And I said, you're going to need to take at least six of them. Get to work. And they began to work. I have never been so excited in my life as the day my friends tore up Simon's roof. Oh, my. I could almost feel it in my fingers. 
I thought about what it must be like down below. Jesus, standing quiet, I've never met him, pontificating like one of the priests. The, uh, the special little things on his forehead, the hanging on his chest, I could imagine him all with the fine vestments of the wealthy priests, standing there speaking to them with a large scroll in his hands. Oh, it must have been beautiful. If only I had known he was simply standing there in fisherman's garb talking to all of them as if they were good friends. (laughs) He would have been much easier to love for me if I had known who he really was. But no one had ever told me how he dressed. But I could imagine as the first tile would begin to move, some of the straw that we had not gotten out would begin to sift down through Simon's house. And I knew where I had told them to dig. And I knew that those would be right above where Jesus would be speaking. And I imagined, and just then the first tile came up and moved gratingly to the side. And I thought of that first day when we heard the taps on the outside of our house, the little scratchings as they left the pail and the fish. And I wondered if the sounds and the sights in Simon's house had the same impact on him. Fear, hope, expectation, wonder. What I did not know is that Jesus, the moment the scrapings had begun, had taken a step back and begun to look up and had seen the first of the straw begin to sift down as the sun cast rays through openings that had not been there before. And everyone in the room gasped as the first tile was moved aside. Some for different reasons. Simon, gasping as he told me later, because he had planned so carefully for a perfect event in his home. For a perfect time to meet the Christ. For Jesus to have this perfect moment to impress the Pharisees with his vast wisdom so that they would come out of his house saying, this is the one. And instead they're going to come out saying, they tore up the roof. And no one's going to remember what Jesus said. They're only going to remember the interruption of sin in his message of grace. All six tiles now moved to the side. One of the beams lifted and shifted. Four men. John, you're going down. (laughs) And they lifted me into the hole and dropped me. Oh, they didn't drop me. They let go slowly of the ropes so that all four ends of me would get there at the same time. And they dropped me through the roof, down, through. So where, when people had been looking up and seeing only the bright sky and filtering straw, <laughs> now they saw a black mark that became a bed that became... It's Goldberg! Get out! And no one moved. Except Jesus, 
who instead of looking at the sin, looked at the friends. I remember his eyes shifted across me, just briefly catching mine, and then together we looked up and four faces hung in the sky above us. Four fishermen. Oh, I could name them by heart. My best friends. Those who loved me regardless of who I had become. Those whose arms reached all the way to my heart. There was an interesting look in their eyes as they saw Jesus. At first there was fear. Oh, we've done something awful. We have, we have disrupted. We, we didn't think about the meeting. We, we, we were only thinking about John. You, know, you could hear a hundred things they wanted to tell Jesus. And they said nothing. For I could watch their faces reflect the love of the Christ. Filled with hope now. And then the hope was gone. And it was filled with certainty of what Jesus was doing down below. They leaned until I was sure they would fall on my sail. <laughs> and then his eyes found mine. Do you know the first word God said to me? Son. Can you imagine? A father who looks at one that has rejected him completely. So much so that his rejection has become a devouring, consuming disease. So much that he has been abandoned even by those who claim to be closest to God. Abandoned and rejected. Forgotten. And yet his eyes didn't let me be forgotten. His eyes found me. And immediately I felt an enervating power touched my soul. Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, if I could write that myself, I probably would have begun with walk. It would have said everything, right? If I had been able to walk, that would have meant that I'd been forgiven, I would suspect, if, if now my body would work. If I had been told to walk, it would have told Jairus that he was wrong and maybe I hadn't been cursed quite that bad. If, if, there's a lot of things I would have said, but Jesus just said, son, maybe that's all he needed to say. Maybe all I needed to hear was that I was part of his family and that there was nothing between us, son, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's what I needed to hear. Son was good. Forgiven was better. And as I felt it, something happened in my body. I told my fingers to move, and they danced. I told my toes, are you there? Hello? And they wanted to make my knees move. Everything about me wanted to just jump up and do a, a, a full board dance right there in the middle of the room. But I didn't let anything touch, anything move at all because I was afraid of my, what happened next. Uh, because there was a darkness that filled the room. I could feel the warmth. I could feel the light. I could feel the joy. I could feel the healing. But the darkness began to overwhelm. 
And Jesus felt it too, for he took a step back. He looked around at everyone as if, I've learned in my life that when Jesus looks around, he sees everyone at the same time as if stripped naked of self. So why are you reasoning these things in your mind? He asked those who were hating him from the room. Would it be easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? But so that you will know that I, the Son of Man, the same word he used for me, he used for himself. We are both sons of the Father. Oh, I wanted to sing. I wanted to shout. I wanted to to dance. I wanted my wife. I wanted my kids. He kept going. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, John Goldberg, stand up. Take your bed. Go home. If he had said... Jairus is over here. Go over there and check, get him to check you out. But he didn't. For my sin was different from that of a leper. There was no provision for a paralytic to get healed, ever. There was not, nothing. There was no offering for me to take to the priest. All he could do with me was send me home. Whole. Whole. Can you imagine? I didn't want to move. I was really quite happy right there. (laughs) Just lying there knowing that my body was in full operating power again and Jesus was looking me in the eye. He reached down, grabbed my hand and said, come on, come on, it's all right. And I leapt to my feet. And I reached down and I I grabbed the oars and I, I wrapped a sail around the oars and I lifted the oars up over my shoulder looking up at the sky and four guys were going, yeah! And those who wouldn't let me in, let me out. (laughs) And I ran. Oh, I ran. I ran through the crowd. I ran through the press of all the people. I ran through the chaos that went on behind me. I ran through the gates. Old Abe in the gate, the gatekeeper. Goldberg, say you! Are you! I raced down to, the, down to the bay, up that little trail that went to that little hut on the side of the hill, up to the place where a leather flap hung for a door. And then I stopped, leaned the oars quietly against the side of my hut, and said, God, what if they don't accept me? What if my wife, my children have too many bad memories to let the new ones take over? But he did say, go home. As if he had prepared the hearts of my family 
to receive me. A little face peeked out from underneath the leather and then it closed. And I heard a voice say, Mom, it's Dad. He's standing up. Just like a tear To go and blur out everything Ain't it just like glass To fall and break so easily Ain't it just like love To leave a mark on the skin And underneath, yeah, when the pain Goes and shadows everything
When I first heard that song, I wasn't sure what it meant. Keep your eyes on me. Is that a command to us to keep our eyes on him? Or is that a plea from us for him to keep his eyes on us? I still don't know. I've asked the authors. They don't know. The man who wrote the book, he doesn't know. The truth is, they're both right. Keep your eyes on me is simply a plea from those of us who are broken, consumed by the terror of our own choices. Please, God. It's also a plea from our Father. Don't be distracted by the junk around you. Don't let your mind, your heart, your body, your soul be torn from me. But keep your eyes on me. Together, we're going home. Lord Jesus, may the power of your presence wipe away the stains of our sin. And may we as your sons and daughters walk home hand in hand. 